Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 125 of Just the Zoo of Us. On this week's episode, I got to hang out with reptile keeper and enthusiast Dominique DeFalco, who joins me to talk about the fabulously lashed Crested Gecko. You're going to hear all about the joys of loving and caring for reptiles, the mind-blowing physics that keeps geckos clinging even to smooth glass, and what makes these wide-eyed, velvety, soft lizards such special little friends. Just the Zoo of Us presents the Crested Gecko with Dominique DeFalco. friends, this is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here as usual with your favorite animal review podcast. This is just the zoo of us. And this week, I'm really excited to bring y'all my friend. This is not a new friend for me, but it's a new friend for y'all. This is Dominique DeFalco. Say hi, Dominique. Hi, good morning, Ellen. I'm so excited to talk to you. This is not my first time talking to you. I have joined you on your podcast, Modern Medusa, and that was a really, really fun time. But for listeners to our podcast, this is their first time hearing your voice. Could you please, real quick, give me a quick introduction to Dominique DeFalco? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me on. This is so <laughs> exciting for me. For people who don't know me, my name is Dominique DeFalco. I use she, her pronouns, um, and I am from the Cincinnati, Ohio area. And I am a reptile enthusiast. So uh, I work with reptiles, I keep reptiles. And uh, that's kind of like my hobby in life. And you were on my podcast called the Modern Medusa Podcast, which is a podcast to listen to when your kids aren't in the room. <laughs> yeah, it's for the grownups. <laughs> it's for the grownups. But I highlight women who work with reptiles or just work in the animal space in general. So it started as a way to just talk about reptiles, but it's kind of grown in the last year to really cover a wide breadth of, of animal enthusiasts who identify as female or non-binary. Awesome. And it is a really nice podcast. Thank I you. came on to talk about a historical woman herpetologist. I talked about Enrique Calabresi, mm -hmm. which was a fascinating story. But we also like talked about, you know, loving reptiles and loving mm -hmm. animals and podcasting. And so like it was a really fun time. So anybody who's listening to this and is like, oh, that sounds like my kind of thing. Go check out Modern Medusa. It is a fun time. So Dominique, what got you into reptile enthusiasm, <laughs> like yeah. as a hobby and a lifestyle? What got you into reptiles? I think um, at the base of it, I'm an animal enthusiast. I was always an animal lover growing up. I was catching bugs, catching frogs, you know, kind of the thing that we all did <laughs> growing <laughs> up. And I was really into the crocodile hunter. Relatable, hard relate. <laughs> okay, yeah. My prized possession is I have an autographed photo of the crocodile hunter. What? That is framed you in my apartment. That? Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, I, in my deepest depths of my heart, I believe it is real. I will never bring it to someone to verify because I think I, I would sob if it wasn't. Just let the fantasy live. <laughs> well, I think it's real. Here's my reason I think it's real is when I was in first grade, they were like doing multicultural events, which is 
very in quotes when you're at a Catholic grade school in Ohio. And we were studying Australia. And the only thing I remember is they gave us Vegemite. And someone was playing the didgeridoo. I would actually love to try Vegemite. I've heard a lot about it. It was very strange. (laughs) I was like seven. So I really didn't like it. But I also didn't like a lot of things then. We had to like draw pictures of Australian animals and I came home and I was like, I'm going to send this to the crocodile hunter. And <laughs> I did. I mailed it. I mailed it to the Australia Zoo and then I forgot about it. And a year and a half later, I got a care package oh my and it gosh. had it had crocodile hunter stickers. It had the autograph photo. It had a map of the zoo and like a thing about the fan club. And I lost my mind. I think I, was, like, I would eight. have also freaked out. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was within the same year that he passed. Mm. So it was, you know, like a hard thing. I think it was like one of those things as a kid where I didn't totally understand like what that meant when someone sure. passed. And, and it was like a big thing for me to to have that and um still be able to really like appreciate all the work he put in. And, and now I get to appreciate the work his family does. But I always liked animals a lot. And so like at that younger age is really when I was reading and watching, consuming a lot of media about it. And then probably in like fifth grade through actually partially through college, I kind of dropped that part of my personality. I didn't really identify with that as much. And then in college, in my sophomore year of college, I found someone on YouTube who was keeping reptiles and posting videos about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that is something I really liked when I was younger. Let's like get back into the research. And I just kind of went all in. (laughs) I found out I could keep them privately in like a personal collection. And I did a lot of research. And my favorite animal is the green tree python. So I got a green tree python. And then it just kind of exploded from there. Oh, that's such a cool dream. It's like, it's always a part of you. You can never quite shake it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's funny because people in who knew me like in high school and college were kind of shocked by this like quote unquote sudden switch to the animals but my family was was very much like this makes a lot of sense this is what you really loved growing up and I think it took a lot of understanding like who I am as a person and, and like wanting to put myself first in the sense of like making myself happy rather than being like nervous that people would think it was weird, which sometimes people think it's weird. <laughs> and something you talk about on your podcast too, is that, you know, women are not often welcomed into herpetology and yeah. animal science, you know, like there's a lot of barriers there. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's one of the things that's interesting about my specific like niche within the reptile hobby is I really became like a voice for women in the hobby. And then I work really hard to also make the hobby a welcoming place for non-binary folks. I've tried to build a community with women and non-binary keepers um, on Facebook. So if you're on Facebook, it is an adult group. It's called Female Herpers and Reptile Keepers. It's a great group. We just hit 10,000 members this week. Whoa! Which is insane. That's a lot! It's so many. <laughs> and so um, when I started the group like a year and a half ago, so last June, I didn't think it would snowball into what it is now, but it's become like a huge part of my life and a huge part of how I interact with the hobby. Oh, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so glad that there's a space out there that's like encouraging people who I think have been sort of historically excluded from not just the hobby, but like the science side of it too. Yeah. And just giving people a, a door into mm-hmm. a really, really fulfilling relationship with animals. Yeah, I hope so. And we work for that. And I think there's definitely trends 
of getting more women and non-binary representation in the scientific community. Um, yeah. And I see that a lot with like the SciCon community on Twitter and how vocal they are. Um, that hasn't quite passed into the private hobby. So another thing I, I try really hard to do is kind of like mesh those two worlds. So on my podcast, I'll interview hobbyists, but then I also bring on professionals and scientists who maybe keep reptiles personally, but their main passion is studying and, and trying to make sure that those two worlds are overlapping and because we have to coexist. Yeah, for sure. I love to see cultural shifts happening in real time. That's very yeah, exciting. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah, especially like growing up as a girl who was into animals and things that maybe were like, oh, no, that's icky and gross. That's not the sort of thing. You know, that's not ladylike, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm glad to see that uh, being dismantled over time. <laughs> it is. We're, we're trying really hard. And I had, oh my gosh, this was like, my favorite thing I got to do, honestly, still probably want to be, be one of my like core memories. One of the things that I used to do when I was little is we had a lake house in upstate New York near um, Lake George. So up there are Eastern newts, which are like these tiny, like couple inch long red newts in their eft form, which are like oranges with red spots. And I used to go what I called salamander hunting. And this isn't great. I definitely didn't fully understand what I was doing. So like, please don't, please don't be mad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I would collect <laughs> buckets of them and like literal like sand buckets because I would walk up and down our private lane and like collect buckets. And like my grandma would be like, oh, that's great. Just don't bring it in the house. And I was always the cousin who was like playing with the creepy crawlies and like catching them at the lake house. And it didn't really pass along to my other cousins in the same sense that it really like became something for me, except my younger cousin, my youngest cousin, I have 23 cousins on this side of the family, big Italian, Love. Irish, Catholic family. <laughs> <laughs> they really did the thing. Um, she's 15. And she reached out to me. She's like, hey, I think I'm interested in reptiles. And I was like, yes, you are. Yes. And we're gonna continue this. <laughs> So she and her family drove down from New Jersey to Cincinnati, which is like a long drive for just a weekend of me taking her to all of the places that I like to go locally to like work oh. with reptiles. So oh my god, it was literally the best weekend. We drove like an hour north to my friend who breeds ball pythons and he let her see the newly hatched ball python babies. And then he also let her help pull eggs from a mom that had just laid that day. Wow. And then the next morning we got up and went to the Cincinnati Zoo and my friend Ryan Dumas, who works there, he's the um, head keeper for the uh, fish and then for the reptiles. He took us and we surprised her and got to feed the Galapagos tortoises. And Whoa. like, it was, it was literally such a dream for me that weekend to be able to share my passion with someone who I love. Obviously, she's my cousin, but she was so into it. And she was telling me that like people had told her it was weird. And I was like, being able in real time to be like, these are the people that share your passion and we've all been through the same thing and being told it's weird and we shouldn't do it. And like, I promise your community is out there. And if you continue fostering the love, it will carry you through life. Yeah, there's community out there. And also, you know, being from Florida, I understand the value of 
having a love and respect for reptiles. Yeah. Especially with how much misinformation is out there about them. So many myths, so much fear based Mm -hmm. misinformation out there around reptiles. So especially just like getting a young person to understand and respect them a little bit better. It's just, uh, that's the way to go, you know? Like, yeah. I'm happy for your cousin. And I'm also happy for you that you got to experience that because that sounds like I'm getting secondhand hype. Just hearing Yeah, it. it's the best. And I think it's hard to fight so hard for my passion and make it more inclusive when you're not seeing that in every other space of it. So having that weekend with my cousin was like such a rejuvenation for me. And like, this is real time why you do it. Because I want her to be able to enter the hobby in a better place than when I did. And even if it's just one person, you know, you're changing somebody's world. Yeah. (laughs) I've had such the distinct pleasure of being able to interview women that like truly are changing things on such a large scale. Like I immediately think of um, Chelsea Connor and I got the opportunity to interview her and like talk about the work that she's doing, especially with like Black Birders Week and such. And we're working for change in different in different aspects of things. And like, yeah. I can look up to those people and be like, okay, maybe one day, like we can have such a, a big change that people who aren't even in the hobby are like talking about it. Well, in terms of getting people interested in inspiring people to, you know, become enthusiastic and interested in reptiles, it starts here. It starts now on this podcast, Heck where yeah. we're going to talk about crested geckos yes crested geckos by the way were requested via email by elliot claire so elliot sent in an email asking that we talked about crested geckos and i had already been kind of looking for a reason to reach out to you to have you on and so i was like oh who do I know that has worked with crested geckos? Dominique. Yeah. Um, So I figured that would be a great opportunity to have you on. Crested geckos, I have like a tiny bit of experience from my days working at a pet store. Mm -hmm. I spent a few years working at a pet store in college and they did have crested geckos there. So just like, just the tiniest little bit of background knowledge on crested geckos. But Dominique, let's hear it. For our friends who may not be as familiar with them, what is a crested gecko? Well, I first want to say that I think, in my personal opinion, I think the crested gecko is like the ideal first pet reptile, which is why I think it's like such a good thing that we're talking about it. Oh, awesome. This is like a great like gateway into reptile keeping. Yeah, I think so. Um, So the crested gecko, for those who don't know, is a small arboreal gecko. So usually like four to six inches. They're a thick bodied gecko. They have this large triangle head. And there's this meme where it's like a crested gecko looks like it just has one brain cell that's ping ponging inside its head, which is like <laughs> very accurate. Um, it's got, cause it's got the eyes that kind of point in either direction. They look direction. in different directions and it's just got this blank stare and they don't have eyelids. So like they're always staring at you at a hundred percent capacity. A hundred percent. And then they just lick their eyeball and you're like, Oh, that's great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Galaxy brain move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the crested gecko, ooh, I've looked up the scientific name and I'm going to try my best. Let's hear so, it. <laughs> it's Rachidactylus ciliatus. Um, Rachidactylus. That sounds like like a great song title, doesn't it? Yeah. On, yeah, like, it does. That's going to be my band name. Rachidactylus. <laughs> Rachidactylus. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like 8 million ways you could spell that. <laughs> like, I love it. Music to my ears. 
<laughs> so yeah, it's a it's a small gecko endemic to New Caledonia, which is about 750 miles east of Australia in the Southern Pacific Ocean. So this island is really cool because it has a lot of very unique species of geckos. So in the reptile hobby, people will generally kind of find their niche or niche. I don't know the difference. Um, <laughs> we and, don't have an official stance. <laughs> yeah, well, I like, I've said it both ways and people are like, that's wrong. And I'm like, well, if I just keep saying it both ways. You can't tell me it's wrong. Um, <laughs> so um, people tend to pick like the group of animals that they seem to have the biggest draw to. So like personally, I keep Morelia, which is the the python species that I was saying. Um, so a lot of people will keep New Caledonian geckos. So that's your crested geckos, gargoyle geckos, Lichianus, the Eurydactylodes, I think is the other one. And I think those are the four. So the crested gecko is definitely the most popular in the hobby. And it is like readily available at pet stores, like you said. So um, it's also called the eyelash gecko. And the reason they're called that is because when you're looking at their big dumb head um, <laughs> with those eyes that are just staring you down is they have these little crests hence crested gecko, that look like eyelashes that run along their eyes and then down the back of their head. To my understanding, that's just purely for aesthetics, you know? Um, (laughs) Every king needs a crown. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But when it comes to the private keeping and private breeding of them, um, that can be a good indicator of health within the breeding pair is a nice defined crest um like a floppy crest or lack of a crest can tell you that maybe i say maybe there's some inbreeding there's a lot of inbreeding that happens because we'll get into it a little bit more in a bit but because of their genetic diversity in the hobby so that's kind of what you're looking for is you're looking for that really defined crest that's going like on their head and, and down a little bit one of the things that's great about crested geckos and makes them an awesome beginner species is that they do not require external heat sources outside of room temperature. Oh, really? So, mm-hmm. so as long as yeah. they're in this, like, I want to say like 68 to 85 range, like you obviously don't want to stay too long in either extreme, um, they really can be totally content and totally healthy. You can offer them supplemental heat at very low levels because you don't really want to go over that 85 degree range, but they don't necessarily need it like you would think of like other reptiles would need um, because their habitat is in that similar um, temperature range. So for my geckos specifically, I keep them at room temperature. I have a little thermostat in there that just kind of tells me what it's at. And then like during the summer, if it gets a little hotter in my room, I add a fan. And then during the winter, if it's uh, you know a little bit colder, I'll put them closer to the ceiling and things like that. So I think that's really awesome. It makes them easier to like keep around if they're comfortable at the same temperatures we are. You know? Yeah, it's like you don't have to like do anything drastic. Like we're we're, we're just chilling at, at our cool seventy two degrees. <laughs> yeah, and I think it. I think that also makes it like a more approachable animal for parents to look at. Oh, true. Because um, there's a lot of fear, and like I totally understand this fear about fires with yeah. reptile keeping. Um, so. I don't use any sort of heat lamps in my reptile room anymore um, because I like am afraid of of fires and those are harder to regulate. So I've moved entirely to heat tape and radiant heat panels that are all on thermostats that have automatic on off. And so if a child is is trying to get into animals and you want to encourage them, but you're like nervous about them maybe having a heat light in their room or something like that, a crested gecko can be great because they have 
a higher tolerance for error. And then also I feel like there is a lower safety um, worry with them, and especially their caging. Yeah. And of course, if your kid wants to get into animals, understand that you are going to have to get into animals. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is not going to be the sort of thing you can uh, set up in your kid's room and be like, all right, good luck. You yeah. Because uh, it's going to require parental support. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I guess I just think about it like I had a leopard gecko when I was younger that was in my room and my parents did help me with it. But I put the heat lamp on my table one time and burnt the table. And I noticed really quickly, but um, maybe had I not or had I gone to school, it could have been like a really big problem. And Mm -hmm. so I think that if your kid does want an animal that maybe they're going to keep in their room and you're not going to be walking by in the living room every second of the day, it's definitely easier. And then, but then like disclaimer with that is if you have other mammals in the house, like you'll have to make sure that they don't interact with your reptile. I have cats. I never let my cats interact with my reptiles um, for safety of the reptile, not really the cat, things like that. So it definitely is a big decision and big conversation to have with the kid and the parent. Mm-hmm. But I think that this is such a great starting point for kids. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I, I wish people wouldn't try to like use live animals to like teach their kids responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think the greater value in that is just like having a fulfilling experience with an animal and mm-hmm. teaching you to appreciate uh, an animal, especially one that's not a mammal, you know, yeah. like learning how to connect with a reptile, I think is a great way to make you feel more connected with nature. You know, it feels like I know they're not dinosaurs like birds are, but for like a little kid, it's kind of like holding a dinosaur. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it totally is. And I think that like with crested geckos, I mean, I- I'm obviously like very passionate about getting kids interested in reptiles, but with crested geckos, it's such a good species that can really get the family involved because there's parts of the care that everyone could be interested in. So if you have a child per se, that's like really interested in the animal itself, they can pick out the animal. But then if you have a child who's maybe more artistically inclined, let them help do the enclosure, let them pick out plants if they want to put that in. And, and I think it's a, it can be really fun for like the whole family. It's an opportunity for everybody, but it should be a family effort. You know, yeah. like uh, I, I saw a lot of times, you know, parents would be like, what kind of pet can I get for my kid that I'm not going to have to worry about? Yeah. And it's like, no, I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. Know, like it's... maybe a Neopet. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not to say that, you know, a, a kid isn't going to be responsible with their pet, but you know, it's the important thing is the health and the safety of the animal. Mm-hmm. So you got to just provide that guidance like Mm -hmm. let let it be a family project you know like let it be a thing that the whole family does it can be really fulfilling yeah absolutely so this is a gecko that like you said it's arboreal so it's up living in the trees the crested gecko though when i think of a crested gecko pretty much the only image i have in my head is of them like spluted on the side of whatever it is that you're keeping them in yes yeah (laughs) so they are definitely your They're not your gecko gecko, but when you think of a gecko that has like the toes where they climb, um, Mm -hmm. this is a gecko that you're thinking of. And they are excellent climbers, not only on trees and branches that would like exist in the wild, but also on glass, plastic, PVC. So when you keep crested geckos in captivity, they're a single species. So you don't, they're not communal. Um, You keep them by themselves except for breeding. And generally you want like a vertically oriented 
oriented cage that will allow for them to climb a lot because they are going to hang out in the tops of theirs. Because like you said, they're not really a ground dwelling species as much. They definitely do come down because they're very active, but they're not going to hang out in the ground like a leopard gecko would or a ball python would, right? Right. Hey there, we are going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we are going to get into our ratings for the Crested Gecko, so stay tuned. Hi, I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalin. And the three of us host The Flophouse. It's a podcast where we watch a new bad movie and then we talk about it. Dan, you say it's hosted by the three of us. We've had a lot of great guest co-hosts like Gillian Flynn, Jamel Bowie, John Hodgman, Jessica Williams, Wyatt Cenac, Joe Bob Briggs, Josh Gondelman, Roman Mars. Yeah, and you said new movies. But what about the time we did Meatballs 2? Okay, okay. Yeah, sometimes we do older movies and sometimes we have guests, but mostly it's about us talking about like recent bad movies. And don't forget about the ones where I made you do a role-playing game where you played cartoon dogs. All right, yeah. Shouldn't a promo be a really simple explanation about what our show's about? So what's the show about, Dan? What's it about? (laughs) What's it about? It's about friendship, all right? It's about our friendship and how we love each other. The Flophouse. It's a podcast mostly about bad movies on Maximum Fun. Hi, I'm Biz. And I'm Teresa. And we're the hosts of One Bad Mother, a podcast about parenting. Parenting is hard, and we have no advice but we do see you doing it. Honk if you like to do it. (laughs) Didn't we have a bumper sticker a while back that was like, honk if you did it. That's what it was. I think it was honk if you're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Why did we not ever make those? Those We did make them. I think they're still in the Max Fun store. (laughs) Honk, honk, you're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Biz. So are you. Each week, we'll be here to remind you that you're doing a good job. You can find us on MaximumFun.org. Hong Kong. Toot toot. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, what we do is we review animals by rating them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. And our first category is effectiveness, which is physical adaptation. So things that are built into the animal's body that let it do a good job of the things it's trying to do. What do you give the crested gecko? for effectiveness. Okay, so when we're talking about the fact that they can like literally climb on glass and stuff, right? That's impressive. There's nothing to grab onto. Yeah, it's super impressive. And I learned a lot when I was researching this. So overall, I gave it an effectiveness level of an 8 out of 10. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. I wanted to give it 10 on 10 on everything, but I had to be critical and had to be realistic with myself. (laughs) And they can't, well, they can hear me, but they don't understand what I'm talking about. So (laughs) he's not going to get offended by me saying this. (laughs) I'm pointing to it gecko in the back corner that you can't see. (laughs) Yeah, so these geckos are like totally built to climb. Um, The reason I gave them an 8 out of 10 is because while they're great at climbing, they have this prehensile tail that they use to grab onto things, right? And they kind of like a monkey would like loop it around a branch and it gives them an extra level of security. But like a lot of lizards, in the case of an emergency where maybe they have a predator coming towards them or something, they can drop that tail. And the reason I discounted them is because that tail does not grow back. Oh, that's an important part of it. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> usually it's like, oh, well, if that happens again, it grows back. It's more fat storage. It's 
in case there's another predator. Mm-hmm. Not with crested geckos. So it's just the one time, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's like it's better be bad. Like <laughs> which, it's, it's like when you're playing a video game and you hold on to your health potion until mm-hmm. the final boss because it's like, oh boy, I've only got one of these. I'm gonna need to hold on to it. You know, it's like the one max revive that you hold on to until you fight the champion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's like kind of why with crested geckos specifically, when I think of their effectiveness of doing the things that lizards and geckos should do, like that kind of dropped them a bit, especially because I'm I'm looking at it in two senses. One is in captivity, which is obviously where I'm the most familiar with them, but the other is in the wild. So like in captivity, I'm the predator, right? Sure. And I give them food and stuff. And crested geckos are notorious for like you coming in one day and you'd be like, why why did you drop your tail? They just (laughs) do it. And they never grow back. And so those ones are referred to as frog butts, because they kind of do look like they've got a little frog butt. Um, but <laughs> but I've heard I've heard them dropping their tail from anything from like biting their own tail off, oh. biting off like their clutch mate's tail when they're born. Oh, honey, you didn't even give them a chance. I know. I've heard like I dropped a book and two of my geckos dropped their tails. Like they just <laughs> they're obviously very comfortable in, in captivity. <laughs> they don't really think they'll need that again in the future. Christian and I recently binged uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm -hmm. Something we found very humorous about it was how frequently, it was like once per episode, something relatively minor would happen and they would, Captain Picard would immediately be like, shields up, red alert. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It'd be like, you look at the Enterprise wrong and Picard would be like, shields up, red alert. (laughs) That became our... That became our thing that we would say when we were like minorly inconvenienced. <laughs> yeah. That's like definitely what crested geckos are like. And the thing that's hilarious is that it is so individual based on like how your gecko is going to react to things. So like I have one crested gecko now. I've had um a few. So one thing I didn't mention earlier is that I do rescue work with a uh, 501c3 nonprofit in the area. And so I take in crested geckos for them. Usually that's usually what I foster. I've had some crested geckos literally like their tail is like stuck in the door, like for some reason got stuck in the door of the cage and they don't drop it. But other ones, you look at them and they're like, and they drop the tail. (laughs) So it's like in captivity, I don't know what the heck they're doing. (laughs) But um, luckily, like if they drop their tail, it affects their stability a little bit because they obviously don't have that fifth limb to like grab onto things. But it doesn't affect their breeding or or their um, likelihood of, of surviving. Because when a crested gecko drops its tail, if you look at it, it's not gory, but it can be a little shocking to like see a picture of it because uh-huh. they have these like tendrils that come out of the tail. Gross. <laughs> yeah, right. The best way I can describe it is it kind of looks like an anemone. Oh, sure, sure, A closely packed anemone. And this is called a a vasoconstrictor mechanism, and they don't bleed at all. So there's not like an open wound from the animal because rather than it being like bitten off, so the tail has these preemptive small fractures in the tailbone because they're probably going to drop their tail. That's where it happens. And so those vasoconstrictor mechanisms are there. So there's no bleeding and there's not really an open wound when that happens. That's a good idea because like you don't want to be 
zipping around the forest, leaving a trail of blood for predators right. to track you down. Right. So that's a good idea. You might as well like build it in with like a quick eject. <laughs> yeah. And like one good thing about it too is, is they're less prone to infection because oh. it isn't an open wound that's going to like go into your bloodstream. In captivity, if you have a crested gecko that loses its tail, um, it is recommended that you maybe take it out of its main enclosure and have it in a smaller enclosure with paper towels just to make sure that nothing went wrong for a little bit, make sure they're healing okay, because obviously it was a stressful event that caused them to do that. But really, most of them do totally fine with little to no problems after this happens. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Another thing that I wanted to talk about with the crested gecko that I think is just spectacular Mm -hmm. are their beans. Yes. The pads on their toes. Yes. absolutely delightful. Yes. Okay. So this was something I totally didn't know when I first started researching because I knew enough about the crested gecko, like how to keep it and stuff, but I hadn't really looked into the science behind it. That's the fun part, baby. I know, but I've looked into (laughs) science of so many other things that like the crested gecko just didn't come to my head. So like, okay, so they have these sticky feet, right? And when you look at them, they have a foot with five pads on it and these stick out like little round fingers. And when you're holding them, they've got a tiny claw on each of them. So it kind of feels like you can kind of feel them scratching a little bit, but it doesn't hurt at all. It doesn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah, And they can grip your finger using their hand like with the grippy things or just like kind of putting their hand around it. Right. So big question is, how do they stick to everything? And for a long time, there has been like misconceptions about how that happens with like, oh, maybe it's like suction cups or it's these little grabby claws that do anything. That is wrong. And I did so much research on this because I was literally so shocked. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. Okay. It's something called Van der Waals forces. So V-A-N space D-E-R space W-A-A-L-S. It's a scientific force where molecules attract and repel each other. Okay. So on the feet of these geckos, they have these little hairs called setae, which I think um, you've probably talked about with some other species. When they're on crested geckos, they're in rows called lamellae, which kind of makes them look like striped, like they have these little bristles that almost look like you have a few brooms next to each other. These little setae and the molecules of whatever they're sticking to, they fluctuate their charges so that they can like attract to each other. Okay. So it's like literally this molecular (laughs) level where their charges start to fluctuate and they fall into sync, creating an attracting force between the gecko and then whatever other inanimate object it is sticking to. Wow. My mom was blown. (laughs) I remember hearing about Van der Waals forces. I'm trying to remember if it was in high school or in college, Mm -hmm. but the application of that and the reason why, you know, I pretty much never heard of it again after the context of that class was that it's not something that comes into play that often because I feel like so usually it's at like a molecular scale Mm -hmm. where it's not a type of force we even need to think about because it's on such a small scale. But they, I guess the, the crest gecko has just mastered it on like Mm -hmm. a massive scale to actually be able to cling its body to stuff yeah it's not it's not a huge animal right it's like it doesn't have a ton of weight to be supporting but still it's a substantial little guy yeah so crested gecko is like size wise like 40 to 50 grams as adults so they're definitely smaller um they're like a, a chunky little thing 
but um, you don't want your gecko to get fat. So like they can start to develop fat rolls. And so it can be really hard with reptiles in captivity specifically to make sure that you're maintaining a healthy weight because when it comes to snakes and stuff, you're often feeding like a pre-killed rodents or other prey items so that prey drive isn't necessarily there. So with crested geckos, you can feed them a powder mixture that has kind of like all of their nutrients that you mix with water. And they will lap that up because in the wild they eat um, fruits or nectars. But you can also offer them live bugs, which will encourage them to hunt a little bit more. If I remember correctly, the crested gecko powder that we fed our crested geckos at the store I worked at smelled fantastic. Yes. Yeah. It smells incredible. It smells so good. It smells like a smoothie. It really does. And I've always <laughs> wanted to try it. And then I'm like, you probably shouldn't. Um, And that's because a lot of... <laughs> I mean, maybe I will. We'll see. Um, so just a, little, just a little nibble, just to like, see what it's just, like. Just a little bit. Okay, well, I'll get back to you. Um, <laughs> so uh, they are like a fruit-based product. With commercial crested gecko diets, there's a few on the market. I personally prefer Pangea or um, one called Leaping Lychees, which are two that I feed mostly because I found that my geckos seem to like it the most. But also I like to make sure that I'm not offering anything that is too high in sugar because what is attracting your gecko to it is that sugary sweet smell. And some of them like smell like candy I would eat. Yeah, Um, they do. They smell fantastic. They do. So that's like another thing you want to make sure that you're not giving them the super sweet versions or flavors of all these things that they get dependent on and then they don't eat the ones that are more fortified and such. Okay, I feel you. So so in the wild, are they more like omnivorous? Like they can eat like fruits and, you know, bugs and stuff? Yeah, so they will um, hunt bugs. I think that fruit is the primary source, um, fruit and nectar because it doesn't it doesn't run away. <laughs> and I know that for a lot of the New Caledonian geckos that they do a really good job of kind of mixing that and in, in eating a lot of the decaying fruits and such that are on the forest floor. Because while they are arboreal, they're not going to be 50 feet up in the air. They're going to be in that lower like 10 foot range between the, the ground and where they are. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's it's smart, right? To go for something that's just sitting there so that you don't have to waste, especially when you're a reptile, right? Mm-hmm. Reptiles notoriously not being at a huge energy surplus, you right. know, like go for something that's just sitting there. You don't want to waste your precious energy on hunting something down that you might not catch. Yeah. I recommend that you look into the New Caledonian gecko species called the Lichianus gecko. Because they have a very similar diet to crested geckos and to gargoyle geckos, which are like a smaller species of gecko, but they're massive. They get so large. And so it's really cool to see how, oh my gosh, I just pulled up a picture while you were saying that. They look like Muppets. They're so wrinkly. They're so wrinkly. And it's really cool to think that the same diet that this smaller crested gecko is eating can like lead to such a large gecko species. I think Lichianus is the largest species of gecko. It's super cute. Super cute. Yeah, <laughs> super cool. So um, it's really awesome to have this, this smaller area of New Caledonia that has such a diverse but also closely related gecko population and uh, you know, they're, they're eating what's there, which is fruits and nectar and, and small bugs. 
it's hard for me to imagine like the little guys that I used to take care of uh, hunting anything because they just seemed so oh they're so dumb. blissfully vacant like yes that is such a good way to describe it <laughs> just nothing just no thoughts no head empty and they I mean I would love to see crested geckos in the wild because they the crested geckos in captivity. They have no self-preservation. They don't care at all. One of my favorite things about crested geckos, and I think one of the things that makes them a good beginner species, is they're super hardy. But they jump a ton. Yes. Okay, I do remember this. (laughs) Yeah. So they do this thing. It's like the best visual representation I can think of is it's a leap of faith off a bridge (laughs) and they put all their arms and legs out like they can fly and they totally can't. And they'll do that. unprompted at any moment with so much confidence too with so much confidence so (laughs) a lot of times when my friends are holding my crested geckos because usually when i have friends who aren't as comfortable around the reptiles the crested gecko is a great place because it's small if if it bites you anything with a mouth can bite but if it bites you it's just humorous um (laughs) (laughs) they're also i will say super soft yeah, yeah, and that's Incredibly the thing soft. is it's it kind of gets out that idea that like reptiles are slimy and gross and, and yeah. stuff. But I have to stand next to them <laughs> with my hand out like a giant mitt ready to kind of watch their behavior to when they kind of get back on their haunches because I know they're going to go so I can mm-hmm. catch them because they will hit the ground and it sounds like you just dropped a piece of salami on the ground. It's just <laughs> – that's truly the best way I can think to describe it is this splat. I've seen him do it. Yeah. It's in hilarious. the first few times it happened, like I was, par- I was like, Oh no, no. And then they just start running and you're like, what? I'm sorry. And like, you shouldn't have been able to do that. And my favorite thing is they don't drop their tail then. Like what? <laughs> no, they drop their whole body on yeah, the floor. Yeah, it is. And it's the funniest thing. And I love, I got. And no matter how much I warn my friends, like, hey, he's going to jump. Like, if he hits the ground, it's okay. The fear in their eyes. <laughs> and then you hear that splat. And it's just the funniest thing. And and they're totally fine. Um, so I think that <laughs> crested geckos are, are a great pet. And I think that was also one of the reasons I think they're fairly effective is because, you know, they, they got that floppy body excellent for falling, which is exactly what I wrote down in my notes. <laughs> Because if you hit, you know, as an arboreal species, especially if you've lost your tail for some reason, if you make a jump that doesn't work well, you're not at risk of dying every time you fall a few feet. They're not taking fall damage. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. It's more like a rejuvenation for them. Yeah. (laughs) They do it just to feel alive. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It's like very much, I believe I can fly, like going in the background. Yeah. If you can look up a crested gecko jumping, always look it up in slow motion because they like arms are flailing. They're just, it's just the funniest thing. So since we're talking about them acting like complete goobers, let's talk ingenuity for the crested gecko. I feel like we may have showed our hand a little bit already, Yeah, but for us, ingenuity is uh, behavioral adaptations, things the animal is doing with their body to accomplish their goals, I suppose. Uh, What do you give the crested gecko for ingenuity? Okay, so this is very difficult for me. I would imagine so. I gave it two different ratings. So I gave it one in captivity as a six out of 10. Because I think it's a stretch to say they have any goals. Um, (laughs) 
And then in the wild, I gave them a nine out of 10. So it's like a pretty distinct disparity. Um, And I really focused more in the wild because I think that it is kind of ingenious that they have those vasoconstrictor mechanisms, the predetermined segments where the the bone is broken in the tail, um, the fact that the tail moves a lot. And one of the things that's interesting is that even though in captivity, crested geckos are one of the most common reptile species, we know very little about them in the wild because from 1866 until 1994, they were thought to be extinct. Just there's none. <laughs> Just like, yeah, guess we don't have any of those anymore. So you have to think that for over a decade, or excuse me, over a century, they were doing some pretty ingenious things that made us just not realize they were there. And I will say it is probably a wise move to stay away from humans as much as you can. Yeah, absolutely. So that was really where like, it's kind of hard for the ingenuity. And I did give them hiring because I assume there's things going on with them that we still don't know because most of our observations are in captivity. And most of the research I was doing was referencing them in captivity because it can be kind of difficult to get to New Caledonia and get permission for research because the New Caledonia region does have such a diverse reptile presence, like I was saying, that smuggling was very common and it's actually closed now for any exports. So there's no new bloodlines coming in um, to the captive hobby from New Caledonia. So um, I don't think that they're as eager to just allow anyone to come in and and play with the geckos that they know have such a high value in the private trade. Understandably so, yeah. Yeah, but there's not a lot going on in their heads like we've talked about. So in the wild, (laughs) they're good at climbing up their wall. Excuse me, in the captivity, they're good at climbing up their walls and they're good at finding that little bowl of food we give them. (laughs) And that's about it. I have seen, I don't know if it was a crested gecko, but it's a similar gecko that I feel like they're really good at camouflaging. Mm-hmm. Maybe not something that they're intentionally good at. Yeah. Maybe it's just the way that they look. Um, but I feel like I often see them positioned in such a way where they're like along a branch or if you have some sort of like wooden thing in their mm-hmm. enclosure, they'll kind of like squeeze alongside of it so that they kind of blend in with it. Yeah. Sometimes I see a gecko that like almost looks flush with the branch, right? Like they can be so good at yeah. it. Yeah. So I would guess that what you're thinking of the first one that comes to my mind for that is um, the Henkel's leaf tail gecko. Um, and pardon me, I can't remember that scientific name. Do you see it? Oh, it's yeah. Europlatus henkeli. You know what? That is exactly it. Because mm-hmm. one of the first results that came up was for the Henkel's leaf-tailed gecko at the Jacksonville Zoo, which is where I saw it. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> that those geckos, um, Europlatus in general, is they are leaf-tailed geckos. So those are going to be your really camouflage gecko species. Like I have stood in front of gecko cages and I'm like, I know there's a gecko in here where are you? And then they move and you're like, oh, you've been right there the whole time. Yeah, it's a fun game to try to play like find the gecko. It's my favorite thing. And it's, um, gosh, it's probably good because at least I'm giving the zoo money. But like, I've been <laughs> gone to the zoo so many times that I know the hiding spots of most <laughs> of the animals in the reptile house. So I like to bring friends and be like, guess where it is? And I know because yeah. it's in the same <laughs> spot because they're very routine creatures. Um, But yeah, the crested geckos, I guess, specifically in captivity as well, they really don't have that 
Maybe they do have a desire to camouflage and they just don't do it very well. So (laughs) like right now, I'm looking over at my crested gecko cage and while his head is behind a leaf, the rest (laughs) of him is just right there in front of the glass. So that really... I can't see you. (laughs) That's exactly what their thought is. Um, And then like, we're going to talk about aesthetics in a minute, but like in captivity, their color variation is so wide that I think we've almost taken away their ability to camouflage like they would in the wild. Oh, sure. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Well, you know what? Since we're right here, let's talk aesthetics. For the crested gecko, mm-hmm. this is the final category we rate our animals on. I have high hopes for this one. Yeah. What do you give the crested gecko for aesthetics? Um, I did give it a 10 out of 10. This one's easy, right? This is clutch. Like, yeah. This one has it covered. They're very cool looking species of gecko. Um, I think that they appeal to a lot of people because of their funny little faces and because of... I mean, not to anthropomorphize too much, but they look very friendly. And so I think they do a good job of like removing some fear that comes like, I understand an innate fear that comes with like reptiles sometimes. And I think they do a really good job of dismissing some of that. And then when you think about just in captivity in general, the variety of morphs that they come in. So for people who don't know, when it comes to captive keeping of reptiles, a morph generally refers to a specific coloration or pattern that has been line bred to appear in like certain lineage animals. So like my favorite example of a crested gecko that I think is just absolutely stunning is a super Dalmatian crested gecko. So crested geckos in general, when you have your basic crested gecko, they're going to be like a cream color or a a brown color. And then they can have like some variations in that. And I can see your face looking at the uh, super Dalmatian. So they keep that cream colored base and then they're just covered in polka dots. And now they're able to come out with lines where they have red polka dots. So that can happen. And then also something that's super cool with um, a lot of the new Caledonian geckos is they do this thing called firing up. Oh. <laughs> and their color changes and it can be pretty drastic from when they're more content, maybe like asleep versus when something, whether it's something that scares them or it's just the heating is different or something, they change colors. So they can go from a very basic cream color to very dark, very suddenly. And I think that's so cool because it can help you understand your gecko itself. And then also it's just like very fun. And when it comes to breeding, I support people who ethically breed reptiles in captivity. And with that comes like making sure you have healthy animals and in lines that when they're bred together don't cause any damage. But it can be really fun to kind of play the game of like what's going to come out from this pairing. Um, And that's why I just think crested geckos are really awesome. Yeah, and they're beautiful. And and something that I think doesn't come through in photographs is that their skin has this velvety texture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's It was so surprising to me the first time I got to actually like handle one. Mm-hmm. It's that it's so soft. Mm-hmm. Like it has this sort of very like velvety feel to it. Yeah. It doesn't have the same 
they do have scales, but it's like different than what you think of when you think of like a snake. And that's with a lot of, a lot of geckos and then specifically the new Caledonian geckos really have that skin. I do call it more skin than like scales. That's what it feels like. It does. It feels like skin. Like it doesn't yeah. feel like scales. And it's really cool because when you think of like a snake shedding its skin um, and they kind of wiggle out of it and then leave it like, you know, in the corner or something with crested geckos, they eat it. So uh. <laughs> they kind of like start to shed. And I've actually never seen my crested geckos shed because usually they get a little grayish and then the next morning they're back to their normal color and so overnight they work that skin off and they just kind of start pulling it off and eating it off of their body which is like a little weird it but is gross. it helps them like reabsorb any of the nutrients they would have lost by getting uh by losing that skin so i think that's oh, really cool that is actually pretty cool and i've felt crested gecko skin um when it's shed before and it like it really feels like a very soft tissue paper it does. Yeah, 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 it does. Yeah. I think it's like soothing. It almost feels like if you could replicate that texture for some sort of like soothing like fidget toy or something, uh, that would be absolutely perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time Thanks. and your knowledge. I have learned a lot about crested geckos today and I like I already liked them, but I feel like now it's like further in the love category. Right. <laughs> like come on, they're so cute. And and there's a surprising amount of science going mm-hmm. on there. So very, very awesome. Um, let people know at home where they can listen to your podcast, mm-hmm. where they can find you on social media, your Facebook group. You already mentioned that. Yeah. But, you know, like, <laughs> let people know where they can connect with you. Yeah. So I am most active on Instagram. That's probably the best way to find me. Um, my reptile page is at DeFalco Reptiles. So D-I-F-A-L-C-O reptiles. I post a lot of my animals there. And then you can always reach out via DM and ask me any questions you may have. And if I don't know, I probably know someone who does. The podcast is the Modern Medusa podcast on all platforms. And once again, that's more like an adult oriented show. But I really like it. Obviously, I'm a little biased. Um, <laughs> and if you're looking for a starting point, I was on one of the early yeah, episodes. Yeah, it was a so. good one. And we got to do we got to learn about some historical herpetologists, which is always a fun thing for me to talk about. Um, yeah. And then on Facebook, the Female Herpers and Reptile Keepers group as well. Um, so yeah, you can find me there. Uh, and I'm just so grateful. Thank you, Ellen, for having me today. Of course. Thank you so much. This It's always a delight to speak with you. Oh, so thank I, you. You know, I was just looking for an excuse. Well, you it's so funny because you like t- messaged me and you're like, Hey, do you know anything about crested geckos? And I'm like, what do you need help with? Because I'm so used, to, I'm so used to people being like, something happened to my gecko or happened to my oh, snake, sure. and I need help. And so I'm like immediately in, like, let's solve the problem. And you're like, well, do you want to talk about it? And I'm like, well, yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, rest assured, if I did have such an issue, you would be the first person I would go to with that. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm not trying to tell everybody, hey, if you have a sick gecko, please message Dominique about it. Please don't do that. (laughs) Take it to a vet. Yeah. but yeah, uh, definitely go follow Dominique. Follow Dominique's podcast. It's it's a great time. Um, not just like educational, but also I feel like uplifting to hear about people that are getting into a hobby that has not always been super welcoming to them and like making it welcoming. 
<laughs> well, thanks. Like, like, this is not a space for me, so I'm going to make it a space for me. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Stake my claim, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got to make your own space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you, Dominique. It's been an absolute delight to speak with you. Uh, we will talk to you later. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope this episode has inspired an appreciation and love for not just crested geckos, but the scaly friends all around us. If you liked what you heard today, it would really mean a lot to us if you could leave us a great review on your podcatcher, like our friend Richard Kreutz Landry in the USA and Olivia, which I say because it has three eyes at the end of it, in Sweden, who both left wonderfully kind reviews on Apple podcasts that were dearly appreciated. You you can connect with us on social media or shoot us an email at ellen at just the zoo of us.com. Next week, you are going to hear from a marine biologist who is going to teach us all about a beautiful blooming animal that may look like a flower, but as our guest informs us, it certainly doesn't smell like one. We'd like to say thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their other fantastic shows like the ones you heard promos for here today. You can check them out and learn more about the network at MaximumFun.org. And while you're there, it would be awesome if you signed up for a membership to support us and the rest of the shows on the network. Finally, we'd like to thank Louis Zong for our Straight Fire theme music. That is all for today. See you next week. Thanks. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.